fourth gospel this morning. It's been a great gospel, all the word of God is. Last week, if you recall, Jesus had told his disciples, we're in chapter 21, to meet him on a certain mountain. So the boys already knew the exact place to meet him there. And we found out that Peter decided to go fishing because after Jesus didn't show up when he thought he should. I know none of us have those kind of issues. So while they were fishing, and remember, they were catching nothing, Jesus, he assured them of their futility without him because he says in verse 5, boys, you haven't caught anything, have you? A negative sentence there. Their reply, of course, was no. And then he said in verse 6, And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find. Remember I told you that word psalm is in italics. It shouldn't be there. And so we know they did. But the question is, and you will find what? Because he doesn't say what they will find. But we do know by looking at... Uh, the chapter 20 going into uh, chapter 21, that the scripture says that Jesus has come to, to, to show himself, to display himself, to demonstrate himself to his disciples. And it says, so they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. If you want to be fruitful in the service of our Lord Make sure you obey what he tells you to. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. John's thinking, I remember this being played out before. And as I thought about that, we know that Thomas is in the boat. We know that James is there, a couple more of the disciples along with Peter, none of them said that it was the Lord. Only one, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he had no doubt about it, that the Lord loved him. And I'm always questioning, why did John say that when the other six didn't? And I began to meditate on that. And it had to be the closeness of John's walk with the Lord. He knows he's everywhere at one time. He knows he's always in the center of what he's doing. God is there. And Peter and the rest of the boys will learn this. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it. Peter wasn't naked. He had on his tunic, his loincloth. And they would do that when they would work or go fishing. And it says, and plunged into the sea. We know that Peter is impulsive. He's 300 feet away, and he jumps into the water, and he swims, begins to swim to Jesus. It's funny how, how the Lord makes us different. John perceives while Peter jumps. That's just the way they are. But the other disciples came in the little boat. For they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. 
Then as soon as they had come to land, notice this, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. This is the only time in the New Testament that we have this phrase of fire of coals. It was used one more time in the 18th chapter of John when John and Peter was following the, the, the crowd and the soldiers taking uh, Jesus Christ to Anna's home. And it says this, Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coals stood there. I wonder what Peter is thinking as he came to shore and sees this fire of coals. Does he think back in that courtyard at Annas' home? Once again, remember Jesus is revealing himself. He's manifesting and displaying himself to his disciples. Fish and bread Jesus has on the grill. I wonder, did he stop by a Publix and pick up these things? But he's there and he's ready for his boys to eat. Remember when Satan, he slyly said to Jesus in Matthew 4, the latter part of verse 4, he says, if you are the son of God, he knew who he was since, that's the Greek for it, command that these stones become bread. We know that Jesus refused to do that for Satan. And I, I believe that he went on and decided to do this for his disciples in this circumstance. They were out fishing. They fished all night. They're weary, they're wet, they're tired, and they're cold. They've been trying to do this in their own strength, we have to remember. But God, once again, he wasn't in it because he had instructed them once again to wait on him. But they go fishing, and even though they were experts fishermen, they were not fruitful. They were not fruitful until they obeyed what the Lord had said to them. So as they come to shore, there's a fire. Verse 10 tells us, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish, notice what he says, which you have just caught. For it is God who works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. They hadn't caught anything. He gave them the grace to do that. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. I wonder who counted these fish. I know Chuck Missler, he would love to do a teaching on this 153 number. Is this number significant? I don't think the number is significant. I don't think it's symbolic, as some have suggested that it is. But rather, he just emphasizes how miraculous of a haul of fish that they were able to catch. Matter of fact, in the latter part of verse 6, it tells us, so they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. And Peter goes and pulls this whole haul of fish, 153, in by himself. He has no help in doing this. 
Tradition says that Peter was a big, burly, large man. When I think of a man like that, I either think of the dude on the brawny towel box or either George Foreman. I met him one time in the airport, and I shook his hand, and his whole hand just covered my whole arm. A big guy. And so when I think of Peter, that, that's what I think about. And when they had this catch of fish in Luke 5, the net was broken. No doubt there's something Jesus is displaying to them. Because when he's in it, nothing is destroyed or broken. He says in verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. I can't help but to think of Psalm 81. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? He says, when I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers. John told us in the prologue in verse 3, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. And here you have the creator of the universe. And what he's doing, he's stooping down to make a fire, stooping down to clean fish and cook them. He's stooping down and serving his disciples. Mark told us, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. We like being served. I like being served, but to serve. Luke tells us in chapter 12, verse 37, blessed, and we need to let this sink into our hearts, Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself. And, and the, the, the Greek, when he says he, he will gird himself, he makes the servants sit down. He forces them. No, Lord, you're God. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. And you want me to sit down and have them sit down to eat. And will come and serve them. He's the master. He's the creator of the universe. And he's saying, come and eat breakfast. And notice what he says. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. I imagine this was the most quietest and awkward breakfast known to mankind here. And we knew, we know about these guys that they are very talkative. They can't stop talking. They talk all the time. They talk about, oh, who's going to be on his right hand and on his left hand? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they're talking all the time. So they know who he is, but they dare not say anything. Verse 13, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples 
after he was raised from the dead. Remember, the first time was Resurrection Sunday when he came, stepped into their presence. And remember, Thomas wasn't there. The second time, eight days later, he steps into their presence again in the upper room. Thomas is there. And so this is the third time Jesus showed himself to us after his resurrection. Once again, none of them are saying anything, and they were always yapping. Reminds me of my son. So this is very much unlike them. But now, I believe they are very much aware of his humanity, and they're struggling to deal with his deity. Now, I'm going to bring this down to our level. We might not like to talk about it much. We might think that those 12 apostles did everything right and said everything correctly, and they never joked, and they never said anything crude or did anything crude. But they did. They're just like us. But all of a sudden, now that they know that this man they've been hanging out with for three and a half years is God, they're a little more circumspect. They're a little more careful how they act around him. Remember, he was the one, when he got on the boat with his disciples, he was asleep, and a great storm came up on the Sea of Galilee, and they wake him up, and they say, Master, don't you care that we perish? And he gets up, and he rebukes the winds and the waves. He's the same one that was teaching in a house, and all of a sudden the tile from the roof begins to fall, and they lower this paralytic down. And Jesus says to them, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. They have a point. If Jesus was not God, but he is, then he can forgive sins. Now we are on the other side of the cross. He's been appearing and reappearing. They were thinking, remember one time, that he was a ghost. And Jesus said, come and handle me. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And so at this point, they are acutely aware of his deity and struggling to realize his humanity, that he's the same guy that they've been hanging out with all of this time. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's warmed them. He's fed them cared for them, and yet they are sitting around him in a very awkward and unsure way. Nobody wants to say anything. I'm guessing that Peter is feeling the most awkward at this time because it was, he was the one who said, I'm going fishing, and all of the rest of the boys followed him. And so by this time, Peter knows that God, Jesus Christ, who is God, already knows that Peter had, in, had instigated this fishing expedition. And so he's thinking about all of those things. And then the silence is broken. Now, I don't know how fast you guys eat. I eat pretty quick. But I'm thinking they're chilling out and they're eating 
And Jesus, of course, breaks bread. I'm sure he said a prayer. And now they're full. Can you imagine? Not a word has been spoken. And then the master teacher, because that's what he's doing here. He's teaching. He pipes up and says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is an interesting dialogue between Jesus and Peter that's going on. And it's not Jesus' character to want to humiliate or embarrass Peter. It's none of that at all. Because he's here to restate his commission to Peter. He's asked Peter three different questions here. And the first one is comparative. He says, Peter, do you love me? More than these, agapeo, love, divine love. Peter said to him, yes, Lord. He says, you know, oedas, you have complete knowledge, Lord, that I filio you. You know that I'm fond of you. You know that I like you. You know that I like you like a brother likes a brother. You know that, Lord. He said to him. Feed my lambs, take care of them, nourish them. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Once again, divine love. But there's no more more than these anymore. So he changes the question. He said to him, yes, Lord, Peter says, you know that I love you. Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. He said to him, tend my sheep to govern them, to shepherd them. And these are full-grown sheep that he speaks of here. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, and he changes the question again, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you even filio me like a brother? Do Do you love me like a brother? That's why Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. Jesus stoops down to Peter's level. And that's one thing I've found out walking with the Lord for 32 years. When I stumble and fall, when I get in a rut, he does not run away from me. He stoops down when my heart is broken. He will stoop down and come to me. That's what he does here. He says, do you filio me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Tend them. 
feed them, care for them. And what an amazing sequence this is. Jesus looks at him and calls him Simon, son of Jonah. He hadn't did that since the first time he met him when Andrew goes and fetches Peter and brings him to Jesus. In John 1, 41, 42, he says this, We have found the Messiah telling Peter, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Now, here they are, all the way at the end of Jesus' ministry. And he looks back and says, Simon, son of Jonah. And he asks Peter, are you devoted to me, Peter? Do you love me with the divine love, with a committed love? More than these. And you know, we're not told what these these are. Some scholars feel it could be one of three things. He could be saying, Do you love me more than the fish? Because he feels when Peter says he's going fishing, he's saying, I'm going back to my former trade. I think Peter calls the first crisis in the church. He started a lot of first things. Some say Jesus is asking, do you love me more than the other guys? Because remember that night, Peter betrayed Jesus. He said, Lord, you can count on me. Even if all are made to stumble, I will not stumble. It seems that the Lord had already taken care and settled this because remember at his resurrection, On that first Sunday, he goes and he finds Peter. And I know he speaks to Peter. And remember, he has breathed on them, and they've received the Holy Spirit. They're born again. They've entered into the forgiveness of Christ. So it wouldn't be like our sweet Lord to go back and dig up this garbage again. He wouldn't do that. And then is he saying, Simon... Do you love me more than you love these other guys? It's a tough question. And I really don't know the answer, but I think it's that way for a purpose. Once again, it's comparative. Because each one of us in our lives here, we have a more than these. Each one of us. It's comparative because each one of us, there's going to be something in our lives that takes our attention and time off of our Savior. It's almost football season. And if you know anything about me, you know I love football. But I'm also a newsaholic. And what I usually do when football season comes, I study, I prep, I meditate. And then game on. I'm ready to watch the game. I have did everything I was supposed to. Lord, you know I have. And all of a sudden, usually halfway through that Alabama game, PV, do you love me more than these? So what Jesus is doing with Peter, he does with all of his children. Because 
The Lord knows if we get our attention, if we get our focus off of him, there's no telling where we might end up. And then I put whatever I'm doing down and I spend more time with him because he loves our intimacy with him. He loves our devotion with him. He challenges Peter here. Let's look at verse 15 again. He says, do you love me more than these? And once again, it's comparative. Are you devoted to me more than a ministry, more than a job, a spouse, or a family? That's what he's saying. And Peter can't go there. He does not want to go there with the Lord. He says, Lord, you know all things. Oh, eat us. Complete knowledge. You know that I love you like a brother. You know that much about me. I do love you like that. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. These are some sobering questions. You would think Jesus would let up a little bit, but he's the hound of heaven respectively, and he continues. Peter's dealing with the one who eyes are like flames of fire, who looks in us and knows everything about us. There's no getting away from him. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Once again, there's no more than these. Forget about comparisons. Are you devoted to me? And Peter, in all of his honesty, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. You know I'm fond of you. He said to him, even in that measure, Ten, my grown sheep. And then the third time he asked him, he stoops down to his level and he says in verse 17, Simon, son of Jonah, do you filio me? Do you even like me like a brother? Peter couldn't take it anymore. He says Peter was grieved because the Lord stooped down to his level. He says, Lord, you know all things. And then he says, you know, and that's not Oedas anymore, it's Genosco, experientially. Lord, you know, you know by being, I'm with you and experience me that you know I love you like a friend. Come on now. You can't take that. And he says, even at that level, he says, feed my sheep. I want us to notice, do you love me? It's always before feed my sheep. The Lord loves us enough to get us there. And that's what I love about the Lord. This message should be called, and I'm not fun of, of naming messages, but if I would, I would call it, give him what you've got. That's what he's doing with Peter. Give him what you've got. I admire Peter's honesty. He says, I like you a lot, Lord, but. You know, sometimes I'm not sure of my own motives, but I'm sure that Jesus Jesus Christ loves me. If I continue to allow him to have his way in my life, he'll get me there. He'll get me there. Do you want To love him more is the question, because that's always the question first. Do you love me? 
Jesus says, if so, feed my sheep. Do the work. And this isn't demeaning to Peter as I look at it. What we are seeing is the Lord's own heart towards us. In Jeremiah, God had complained about the nation turning away from him because of the spiritual leaders. They were not what they should have been. And Jeremiah 3.15 says, And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. He says in Jeremiah 23, verses 3 and 4, But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them, and bring them back to their foes, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. I like what David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack any good thing. More than all of the things that the world offers to provide for us. It wants to build a foundational facade to put under our lives, which is really nothing more but sinking sand. That's the world. Whether it's education, whether it's finances, whatever it might be, David says, I've learned above all else, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack no good thing. Here I think the Lord is saying to Peter and to us, to those of us who aspire in ministry, to those who are the high priest in your home, and men, you should be. This nation is in desperate need of dads who are willing to stand up and be counted. Do you have a little flock? At home. Don't just feed them physically, but spiritually. Shepherd them. Do you love the Lord? Then care for them. They're not yours, they're on loan. You have a stewardship. God has loaned them to you. You know, as we look at how the Lord is recommissioning Peter back into ministry. There's no higher honor. As I was reading this text, I was thinking about my two kids. If they were babies again and I was going away either to war or to lay my life down, and I knew that some other man was going to raise my children until adulthood, I would tell that man, if you love me, Feed them. Feed them the word. Take care of them. Take them to church even when they don't want to go. Study the Bible at home with them. There is no higher honor. Lydia told me at the women's tea, and I heard that was a great time. Ladies, next time invite me. And... The women doing what they do, talking, laughing, all that, those good things. But what hit me is what she told me about Elena, how Elena shared and knew Scripture and would quote Scripture 
And they were all blown away by that. Good job, parents. Good job. That's what we should do. That's what we are, we are commanded to do. There's no greater honor than that. And once again, Jesus is not humiliating Peter. He's not trying to shame him. He's entrusting him. He's showing confidence in him. He's affirming him. He's commissioning him. And you know, Peter never lets go of that in his heart because he says in 1 Peter 2.25, for you were like sheep going astray, but, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4, the elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder, that's what he calls himself, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, constraint, or impulse, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. All of this never left Peter's heart. Paul would say in Acts 28, therefore, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The Holy Spirit said once again in Jeremiah 3.15, And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Jesus would put it this way. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It's a wonderful freedom we have to come to church and go chapter by chapter and book by book through the scriptures. One of my greatest blessings is when people come up and they will ask me, you know, I was watching so-and-so on the TV, and he says something that it just didn't hit me right. It didn't seem right. And I said, it's because You're not only in the word, but you sit under the word. And so you know the truth and you know what's not truthful when you hear it. That's what the word will do for you. You know, topical is okay, but it's something about verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because what that makes you do It makes you teach on things you like and on things you don't like, things that you're comfortable with and things that not so comfortable. And you begin to know the scriptures and it begins to fit like a hand in glove. My youngest sister, she retired from the Secret Service and she worked in the Customs and Currency Division. Her field of expertise was counterfeit money, and she became very astute on detecting counterfeit money. And the way they trained her was all she had to do is study the real thing. She didn't have to worry about counterfeit. Just let me know what a $5 bill, a $1 bill, a $20 bill, whatever looks like. And so I will never be fooled by a counterfeit. 
It's the same thing with the scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 tells us this. Paul says, for the time will come, and it's here, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. These days, the word of God is being pushed aside, and how many people don't even believe in the inerrancy of the scriptures. And the Lord tells Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. And the last time Jesus says, feed my sheep, it's in the present imperative tense. And this is what it means. Feed my sheep repeatedly, regularly, continually. That's the process. It's not one sermon and then flip over. It's not one Bible study. Matter of fact, Isaiah says it perfectly in Isaiah 28.10. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. It's the only way that we will mature spiritually. We partake of the word of God. So he gives Peter a fascinating challenge here. Verse 18, he says, most assuredly I say to you, he kind of changes gears here. There's good news and then there's not so good news. When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, where you wanted to. But when you are old. Peter's about middle aged at this time, so there's a sense he still has a good bit of time left. Jesus says, You will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. There's no doubt what Jesus is speaking of here about Peter's future. And then to make sure, John gives us the commentary on it. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me, keep on following me. Because Jesus had glorified the Father the same way. In chapter 10, he talked about being the good shepherd, and he laid down his life for the sheep. He leads them in, and he takes them out in regards to to pasture. He feeds them. He cares for them. And ultimately, if he's a good shepherd, and I know he's a good shepherd, he lays down his life for them. So Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. There's something about God's sovereignty here. And there's also a human agency here because what we must understand is Nero was the Caesar that Peter was martyred under. But that another points to the father. He's in control. It's his providence that's working this thing out. He's allowed these things to happen. You know the tradition. 
Peter would be taken to Rome, and he would be placed in what was called the Mamertine prison. But he didn't stay there long. They put him in the dungeon underneath the prison. And he was there, Tertullian and Eusebius tells us, chained to a pole for nine months, standing up, because there were feces up to his knees in that dungeon. So he couldn't lay down. He stood up for nine months, and they say he led 41 soldiers to Jesus Christ, even in that condition. Give him what you've got. Finally, they took him out to be crucified, but they had something else for him. They took his wife out first in front of his eyes. Tradition tells us, he said, remember thou Lord, O woman. I can hear him saying that. Notice he didn't say, remember when we laid on the beach and I looked into your eyes on the Mediterranean. He didn't say that. He didn't say, remember how we loved each other so passionately and how we raised kids together with the fear of God. He didn't say any of that. Peter gave her what could bring her comfort, hope. And rest. Remember thou, Lord, O woman. He died, but he's resurrected now. That's what he's telling her. And then as they take Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you even like me? Give him what you've got. I know that had to be going through Peter's mind. Peter says, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. We know the account. So they crucified him upside down. And at the end of his life, in his second epistle, chapter 1, verse 13, listen to what he says. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tabernacle. New King James Version says tent, same things. He says to stir up by reminding you. Speaking of his physical frame, he called it a tent. John wrote in his prologue, uh, verse 14, he says this about the great king, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us and dwelt among us, tented. He put on a tent, and Peter picks up that, When he says, as long as I am in this tent, to stir up by reminding you, verse 14, knowing that shortly, it never left his mind, I must put off my tent. I'm going to get rid of this thing just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. He showed me this. And then I begin to think, Now it makes sense. I got it. I never understood the 12th chapter of the book of Acts. They say that they took John's brother James and they beheaded him and they put Peter in prison. And since the Jews were so enthralled about that, 
they were going to behead him the next day. And remember what Peter was doing in prison. What was he doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. He was sleeping so much that the angel, when it came in, had to smote him to wake him up. And Peter thinks he's dreaming. But Peter knew something. Peter knew that he was still a young man. And he was going to be crucified. And so he says, I don't know how you're going to get me out of this, but you're going to get me out of it. I'm not worried. I can sleep good. And that's what happens when he brings them out. Somehow the Lord was communing with Peter at the end of his life. And I bet he was saying, Peter, remember, we talked about this a long time ago. What would happen when you are old? The time is coming. That's why he could pin knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. We should have the confidence of Peter. The thing is, we don't know young or old when we're going to be called. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we should have the same confidence that Peter has because the Lord has already promised us he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will always be with us no matter what happens, no matter what condition I'm in, no matter what sickness and health comes my way for the believer. I know that I should have confidence absent from the body present with the Lord. And I'm not putting aside that last enemy, because no doubt about it, that last enemy is a bad boy. But we don't have to worry about it, because Jesus is our first fruit. We don't have to worry. We should be confident in the Lord. He's going to take us where we need to go. Verse 15 of 1 Peter says this. Moreover, Peter says, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things. Notice what he says, after my decease or exodus. He calls it, I'm just going somewhere else. That's amazing to me that he would say that now that he's old. He says in verse 20, then Peter turning around, and this is so typical of Peter. This is just his makeup. Saul, the disciple whom Jesus loved, so John identifies himself, who also had leaned on his breast at supper. How old is John? John is 90-something years of age, and what he has on his mind, I remember when I laid my head on God's breast, and I could hear his heartbeat. 90 years of age, and he's still mesmerized by the love of Jesus Christ, the intimacy he had, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Verse 21, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Is he going to be stretched out too? Am I the only one going out like this? That's us. We're always worried about what others are doing or sufferings they're going through. Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You pick your own row of peas. I like how the Greek puts it. Mind your own business, Peter. 
That's what he's telling him. Peter is gone when John is writing this letter. And you can take it to the bank. Peter is an envying where John is. And John is wishing he is where Peter was. Peter's in glory by this time. John is back from Patmos. He's been banished. He's been poisoned. And he's been boiled. And you know he can't wait to go home. So he's envying where Peter is. John would be sentenced to a long life of martyrdom. That's his goal. Verse 22 tells us, Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that the disciples would not die. This disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the book that would be written. Amen. That tells us Jesus did a lot of miracles. And as I was finishing this chapter, this book, I thought of a song. And so we're going to do that for you guys real quick. Danny, could you come up and call Sam, who's in the nursery, I think, serving. They work you hard. said that you were leaving but you didn't know how long I will never stop believing that one day you will return though the waiting is the hardest part of everything I is getting better knowing I will be with you it's alright 
It's okay, I won't worry about tomorrow, for it brings me one more day, closer than I was to you, closer than I was to you, yeah, yeah. question isn't will you what I want to know is when if it's one day or a million I will wait for you till then so I'm holding on to your words and the promises you made there's not one you haven't Stop believing that one day you will return. It's all right, it's okay. I won't worry about tomorrow, for it brings me one more day. Hey, I trust, place all of our comfort and cares into your hand. Lord, no matter what may come our way, you have promised in your word never to leave us nor forsake us. Lord, you're going to be with us even to the end of time. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that if they're going through any trials, that they would continue to cast their cares upon you, Lord. That we should have the confidence that Peter had, that he was going to be with the Lord. Father, I don't know where every believer stands in their walk with you. Maybe we filio you, we're fond of you. Maybe we have not arrived to being totally committed to you, Lord. 
But Lord, if we keep our eyes on you, you will get us there. Your grace will get us there. So Father, watch over us, protect us, keep us safe, and may we continue to bring you glory and honor. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.